welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journeys. I'm very pleased today to welcome Nadine Gal to the podcast. Nadine is an ecologist whose practice spans the fields of sustainability, technology and urbanism. Nadine is Managing Director at Green City Watch in Amsterdam, a global award-winning geospatial AI company focused on renaturing cities, improving urban ecosystems. The first product service is focused on urban forest management. So thank you very much, Nadine, for joining me today on the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs podcast. Grateful for the opportunity, Fergal. Thanks for having me. So maybe just to begin with, can you tell us a little bit about your background and maybe give us a little bit of a synopsis or an overview of Green City Watch and and what what you actually do? Absolutely. So my academic background is in ecology, evolutionary biology and earth sciences. And I'm currently a PhD candidate in ecological engineering at University College Dublin's Spatial Dynamics Lab and MIT's Sensible City Lab. I grew up in the suburbs of southwestern Ontario in Canada, and growing up there, I was always fascinated by how natural ecosystems just seem to be encroached and engulfed by urban development. So I wanted to build cities that were in better harmony with nature, um, although that mission often feels more like an oxymoron. And uh, Green City Watch was really born out of that same desire to do more for urban ecology. Um, as we're living in this era of data-fueled smart cities, and even though those kind of hold fast potential to drive efficiency and improve the quality of life for all citizens, the very natural capital on which those cities rely really risks being left behind by the digital revolution. And we figured at Green City Watch that if we view trees as the urban infrastructural assets that they are, they need formal recognition of their actual measurable value, if you will, in numbers and figures. So Green City Watch uses very high-resolution remote sensing to understand and communicate those numbers to cities. In, uh, in simpler terms, we take nature online. Right. Now, one of the big, I guess they call megatrends and so forth, is growing urbanization. Cities are, are, are becoming, uh, we're having more of them, and they're becoming more densely populated. Um, can you talk a little bit about about the trends there? I, I don't know to what degree you, you have a sense of that, and the degree to which uh, ideas around green cities and greening are taking hold. Yeah, so absolutely, growing urbanization is is a mega trend, and one I think that uh, will be incredibly defining of the next decade. Uh, at the same time, we also have climate change as a defining issue of this decade. And I think the, the two really go hand in hand. And that's exactly what, what makes the intersection of, of sustainability and urban centers so interesting. Um, I always believe that cities really have the power to change the world. And yes, there are these monsters of consumption and the world's biggest polluters and emitters of CO2. But for centuries, they've also been the centers of commerce and culture and innovation. Um, 
I like to call them, you know, the greatest social experiments uh, that we've ever been able to witness. You know, they're really the birthplace of some of humankind's greatest ideas. And as the future, the majority of future humans will live in cities, it just makes sense that our solution to climate change will reside there too. Absolutely. And one of the uh, phenomena I guess we've seen is uh, some kind of deadlock uh, when it comes to taking action on climate change, environmental crisis at at a national political level. Um, But uh, it it seems the same time that other actors are taking up the reins. We've seen in in the United States the states becoming more active. There's a a number of regional initiatives and cities. There are a number of initiatives where cities are working together as well collectively to, to, to uh, I guess to share best practice and also to to, uh, to to make change. Yeah, and I think that's that speaks to kind of a really uh, interesting kind of trend because um, cities have almost felt, you know, okay, if this is the way that our national policies are going, you know, we're we're big enough, we're bad enough to you know come up with our own autonomy, and and, and in a lot of these cases, cities are very autonomous, you know, in a, in, a, in a lot of countries, municipalities actually have that power to take full ownership um, around everything that happens within those urban uh, boundaries and borders. And you have great, um, great organizations coming up like C40 and ICLE and the Confident of Local Mayors, which really, and several more uh, across the world, which really kind of speak to this broader trend of cities taking ownership of the fact that, you know, they may or may not be responsible for a lot of these problems, but at the same time, they have the innovation capacity to come up with the best solutions. Yes. Now, what kind of products and services do you offer and to whom do you offer them? Yeah, so uh, Green City Watch has has developed a, a number of, of different products. And then one that we're most excited about right now is, uh, is something called TreeTect. And TreeTect is specifically... Um, specifically really uh, targeted towards urban foresters and arborists. Uh, essentially what, what TreeTech does is it's kind of seen uh, a gaping hole in the market uh, and, in, uh, and in city governments when it comes to developing tree inventories. So a tree inventory is, is quite simply put um, a, a simple database or a map of all of the trees, all of the publicly owned trees in a city. And it'll include information on the species, the location, maybe the condition, the size and these things. And tree inventories have been around since the 1800s and um, when the first one ever uh, was, was created. And they really are a prerequisite in planning for and making sound urban forestry and green space management decisions, um, particularly in longer term monitoring, uh, it is essential to kind of track longitudinal data about the same individual trees and planting sites. Um, the only problem is, of course, is that on the ground tree inventory surveys. So what I mean by that is tree inventory surveys that are filled out with manual surveying. Um, they can be notoriously expensive difficult to maintain. Uh, They often have errors because they're based on field observations in terms of actual actual metrics uh, and measurements. And I think one of the most compelling points is that they fail to visualize the up to 70% of privately owned urban trees, which are still offering significant community benefits. 
And just because a tree is on private land doesn't mean that the city doesn't protect it, doesn't mean that they don't maintain it even sometimes. And it definitely doesn't mean that the city doesn't have a vested interest in trying to understand the benefits that are coming out of those trees. Uh, so what TreeTech does is it offers a digital automated tree inventory uh, coupled with near real-time health monitoring of those same trees on a regular basis. So essentially what we do is we fill out that baseline tree inventory and monitor those same trees uh, using solely remote sensing. And with that, I mean high-resolution satellite imagery, LiDAR imagery, uh, or even drones. Wow. And, and to what extent do uh, cities tend to, I guess, do they over, overestimate the number of trees? Or what, what, are, what are some of the issues with the way they approach measurement now? So I say the primary uh, issue with the way they approach measurement now is, is just the fact that it, it takes so long. Um, if you can imagine, you know, put yourself into an urban forester's or a city arborist's shoes and imagine that you might be responsible for upwards of 50,000 to, in some larger cities, perhaps 400,000 trees. And you're responsible for um, not only the the day-to-day operations of those trees, you know, the maintenance, the pruning, the irrigation, but also just the overall uh, strategy and the master plan when it comes to protecting and oftentimes increasing the number of those trees. Um, And it's not just about planting more trees, but also, you know, maintaining uh, the trees as well. So something that I, I like to talk about a lot is this concept of Uh, tree longevity. So we hear a lot about people wanting to expand the lifespan of trees in cities just because they face such a difficult time. But it's more than just expanding the lifespan of trees. It's also expanding their health span. So not just the amount of years that trees live, but also the amount of trees that the amount of years that trees live well in cities. And um, these are the kinds of responsibilities that arborists and urban foresters have. But without kind of the proper data, it's completely outdated to think a status report every five to 10 years would suffice. So in the same tune, the traditional methods still used today to inventory, map, and monitor these trees are, in my opinion, in desperate need of an upgrade. Yes. And and, and to what extent are uh, some of the leaders uh, in in, in what we might call green cities uh, focusing on trees? What kind of uh, dimensions you're talking about here? For I mean, it's 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 an area that's had some attention, but it's it's I, I guess there's considerable potential here for growth. Absolutely. Um, one of the um, one of the things that I touch upon in my own PhD research, and something that we're seeing a lot of in this market, is um, also looking at the potential of of sensors and sensor based networks to really kind of provide an indication of. Um, something that trees are really struggling with, which is their soil health. So um, a lot of the time we talk uh, just about trees and we forget about, you know, the very matrix in which these trees have to survive in, which is the soil. And soil is under um, a lot of stress in cities. Um, Simple things like not having adequate uh, available soil volumes, things like soil compaction, construction practices, poor nursery stock, all of these things are really kind of threatening um, the maintenance of building a mature tree canopy. 
And I think one of the most exciting things is having um, soil sensors actually be placed in cities to kind of give more of this real-time information in terms of how uh, soil in cities is doing. One of the best ways, I think, to explain kind of the narrative surrounding this is I've always been incredibly inspired by the work of a forester at University of British Columbia named Dr. Suzanne Simard. And uh, what Dr. Simard has done is she's really kind of revolutionized this idea that trees communicate with one another. So for, for decades and for centuries even, we understood that trees um, had this tree roots and the fungi, uh, the fungal fibers that tree roots attach to underground, had this kind of trading and bartering relationship where uh, the trees would swap out uh, their carbon, uh, their sugars, really their energy in exchange for nutrients and all these other things that their tree roots weren't able to access in the soil. But these fungal fibers, which are much more and, and much smaller, were able to. And um, what Dr. Simard uh, really revolutionized was this idea that it wasn't just individual trees speaking um, or communicating with these roots, but really trees communicating with each other in this broader ecosystem. So no longer were trees kind of these solitary silos, um, but in fact, they were helping cooperating with one another and, and helping each other survive. And there's all kinds of research to back this in terms of nutrient sharing and carbon sharing and, and even um, some really magnificent work that shows that uh, when a tree is dying, it'll actually send out its remaining um, remaining resources into this network to help save these trees. And it, um, that kind of basis was a huge inspiration for me. Um, when uh, I came up with the term the Internet of Nature uh, together with another colleague of mine, uh, Sophie Nidoslawski, also at the University of British Columbia. And um, what we felt like, if we are going to put these trees into these really difficult, extreme conditions, otherwise known as cities, humans are going to have to be able to step in and act as tree stewards to keep those uh, trees alive longer and living better and healthier your lives. And that for us is really, you know, where in a natural forest, nature is able to step in and take that step to rejuvenating those trees when it's necessary. In cities, technology and especially sensors in this case can really play a role at, at stepping in and alerting us human stewards to step in when it's necessary. So that, um, that gets me really excited. Uh, yes, I, I've come across the, that research. It's fascinating, the idea of cooperation and ecosystems and trees communicating in that way. Very uh, revolutionary way of thinking about things. Um, yeah, very interesting. Um, tree stewards, that's an interesting idea. Is that something that's common now? Or uh, you, you, you see a lot of attention to uh, people talking now about new uh, plans to grow all trees and all kinds of various you know, fantastic uh, initiatives, although I guess there are, there are there are significant questions about the kind of trees that are grown and 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 uh, so forth. But um, maybe not so much attention uh, in in that I've come across, at least in terms of looking after the trees you already have, and certainly in an urban context. Yeah, I, there was some incredible research that came out of Boston University, um, and basically what this um, at their lab of urban ecology there. And basically what this research showed is that if we continue um, dealing with our, our urban forestry stock as we are, we, we are actually going towards this net loss of carbon, which is um, of carbon sequestration, which is a huge shock to people because people think, you know, and trees are responsible for sequestering a lot of carbon in cities. But 
actually in the first, you know, two, three, upwards of five years of life, trees can actually emit carbon, which means that if we are uh, living in a city where we are not taking the necessary means to keep uh, our trees alive longer so that they're reaching that mature age of 20, 25, 30 plus years, it isn't really until that age that we start to really, really capitalize on all of these benefits trees give us. So it's of the utmost important that we're making sure that trees have the water they need, um, but most importantly, the space that they need in cities to become these huge carbon suckers. And um, oftentimes that's not happening. And instead what's happening is that trees are only living to be about seven, 10, maybe max 13 years of age, at which point they'll be cut down and these, you know, teenage trees will be cut down and in its place will be a new seedling, if even that. But let's hope that a new seedling will be, will be placed there. So then again, you know, it's almost like you're getting so close and every time you're getting to that threshold where you, you know, where you finally have a tree that's, that starts really adding community benefits, you're cutting it down and we're simply not letting it have, have the maximum impact that it could. Uh, so that's where I think this concept of, of tree stewards is incredibly important because again, going back to what I said earlier, um, you know, being one person in a city and being responsible for upwards of hundreds of thousands of trees, you need the whole community pitching in to keep these, to keep these trees alive and alive uh, longer and healthier. Fascinating. That's fascinating. So can you tell me about the beginning of the, of the company and, and uh, what, what's your technology here? Is this a technology that's, that's widely available? And, and uh, you know, how did you go about um, getting off the ground? Sure. So we were founded um, just uh, two years ago. And we were um, four earth scientists who had all met uh, while studying earth sciences at the University of Amsterdam. Post-graduation, we had all uh, gone off and, um, and done our own things and came back together to uh, enter this challenge, uh, which was put forward by uh, Maxar, the world's uh, leading supplier of, uh, of high-resolution commercial satellite imagery. And Maxar had a very simple question, and that was, you know, satellite imagery is being used in uh, the defense uh, and intelligence sectors, but we believe a lot more can be done to apply this new uh, rapidly developing data source to, um, to sustainable development. So we entered with, with our idea that this imagery could be used to better monitor our urban green spaces. And um, we were completely shocked. We, we won the challenge up against UNICEF and Duke University and Oxford University. And, you know, we were, we were four friends building this in the evenings and weekends with pizza and beer. So we were uh, absolutely thrilled. And from there, uh, we felt like there was a, a huge opportunity to turn this into much more than just winning a challenge, but actually building out a full-fledged business. And since that time, uh, we've been operating more or less as a consultancy for the first 18 months. And in the last six months, we've really been moving towards a, um, a, a product uh, model, which we're really excited to, uh, to build out this new product and transitioning towards more of a software as a service model with clients paying monthly or annual subscription uh, fees. And uh, that for us, we've, we've always been a very mission-driven organization. So being able to work on a product 
that has that kind of scalability and knowing that in operating in such a way, we'll be able to reach so many more cities and so many and help so many more urban foresters. That's really what uh, continues to get us jumping out of the bed every morning. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Have you any sense what, why, why you won that, why your approach might have been different or captivating? That's a great question. I think, um, I think honestly, it's, it's bringing together two seemingly very different worlds. I think, uh, you know, cities are, are seen as things that um, perhaps um, were monitored um, I, I think I think it really was the the idea that you know bringing these two very seemingly separate worlds together, the idea of of remote sensing and space based observation uh, through something as small as as parks and cities, uh, and those those two seem maybe very distantly uh, or distant from each other, but in fact I think they're they're quite related. I mean, re- remote sensing used to be used for tracking uh, deforestation in the Amazon. And now we're talking about deforestation in cities. So even though those concepts might seem far related, I think bringing those two things together is what ultimately helped us win over the jury. Yeah, uh, it's very interesting. And, and, and your end client, who, who are they? And to what degree do they need to already have a certain level of technical expertise, sophistication to interact and use this data or to, to, to fit into you know, uh, the, the way they operate? Yeah, absolutely. So the urban foresters and arborists that we've been fortunate enough to speak with um, have all more or less expressed a desire for the same thing, which is up to the minute, real-time information on the status of their urban forest. So I I often relate it to... um, you know, arborists really are, are tree doctors. And if you could imagine that if you were an actual doctor and you had a bunch of patients in your waiting room, it would be incredibly helpful to you if you had a way to kind of get, you know, that clipboard of information on each individual patient. That'll give you the quick lowdown of how that patient is doing. That is exactly what arborists need to do their jobs properly, and it's data that they simply don't have. And the reason that they don't have this data is because it's simply too expensive and takes too long to gather that information on the ground. So that's that's precisely where we step in, and that's where we offer our technology, is to offer that same information and perhaps even more because there's so much more that we can analyze when you kind of take that bird's eye view and offer it to them in a way um, that is that is ready to go in terms of what they need it for. And that and that's an ongoing process. So as we work with our city clients and really kind of co-develop this solution, it's something that uh, we really do, um, we really believe in is is co-developing with the market instead of you know hiding out in a basement for six months and then trying to bring a product to market. We really believe we're we're better off you know developing this together with the market, even if that opens us up to you know a bunch of failures, which are uh, you know inevitably going to happen. I believe it kind of really strengthens the um, the outcome in the end. Yeah. So our clients are our, our clients are cities, uh, and specifically there uh, there are breasts and urban foresters within those cities. And the technology is satellite technology, essentially. 
Indeed. So, so we operate in a space called GeoAI, which stands for Geospatial Artificial Intelligence. And essentially what that means is taking any kind of remote sensing imagery. So that could be a satellite image. It could be, um, and that could be an optical image or an infrared image. It could be drone imagery. It could be LIDAR imagery um, and LIDAR for, um, uh, for your listeners that aren't as familiar with it is uh, essentially a technology which emits intense focused beams of light and measures the time it takes back for the reflections to be detected by the sensor. And essentially what that, uh, it gives you um, a great indication of, of height models, of biomass models, and essentially is, is, a, is a higher resolution way of, of uh, mapping vegetation. And um, uh, essentially what we do is we we have those different kinds of imagery as input and from there we're building out um, our algorithms to basically recognize patterns in those imagery so the more actually cities we do the faster that that process becomes that's very interesting so so how much can you tell about the health of a tree from a satellite photograph Right. So there's a number of tree metrics that are kind of baseline metrics that we measure. So these can, uh, just to kind of map out what we have in our urban forestry stock. So that could be identifying tree species, measuring the size um, and the location so that they really have that baseline information. And then, of course, we have the health of that tree. Um, so the health of that tree uh, can be measured also through it a number of ways. So you can track uh, the size of its growth over time. You can also look at things like growing space conflicts. Um, but one of the most exciting things that we can do is we can actually use something called an NDVI. And an NDVI stands for a Normalized Difference Vegetation Index. And essentially how it works is that by comparing visible and infrared light from a satellite image, we can measure the relative amount of vegetation. So essentially how an NDVI is calculated is it is calculated from the visible and near-infrared light reflected by that vegetation. So healthy vegetation actually absorbs most of the visible light that hits it. And uh, it reflects a large portion of the near-infrared light. So that's actually a measurement that you're getting back when you run that analysis. And that can actually give you an indication of how that tree is doing. Um, and if it's not doing well, well, that might be an indication, for example, that that tree needs more water uh, in very simplistic terms. And essentially what we're trying to do here is we're not trying to do um, a diagnosis um, because we, we of course, realize that, and as an ecologist myself, I would never say that this completely re replaces field work, but we're trying to optimize that field work. So, you know, if we're able to analyze 400,000 trees from above and we're able to note, you know, there's 10 trees in this area that need attention, well, that, that urban forester or that arborist is able to direct his or her attention to that tree, go to that tree in the field and diagnose what the area, what the situation might be. And I think that's really the most powerful thing that we're doing here. Because if you imagine if, if we weren't alerting uh, that there might be a problem there, that might only be seen when it's too late, when that tree is actually dead and there's, uh, there's nothing more that you can do. And I think that's quite the sad thing when you walk around a city and you see a lot of dead trees is trees don't die just like that. It's a long and it's a laborious, slow process for a tree to die most of the time, which 
is it really an opportunity? Because there, there, it means that there's a ton of chances to, to, to step in and intervene before it's too late. And that's, that's exactly what we're trying to help with. Fantastic. I, I guess it assumes that, that cities have already some kind of resources here to deal with this and some kind of, you know, do have the resources to, to uh, A, you know, track this kind of information and B, respond to it. Is, is that the case? Is, that, is there a growing uh, interest in this? Absolutely. Um, and one of the things that, that I hear time and time again is that parks departments and urban forestry departments are always uh, scavenging for resources they're kind of chronically underfunded. And I think, again, optimizing those workflows is, is going to be quite, quite critical in making sure that the limited resources they do have can be used in the most effective way possible. Right. Now, what, can you talk a little bit about your business model? Is this technology you've developed? Uh, you license the technology. Do you then build, as you say, the algorithms and the interpretive uh, processes around that? And, and maybe talk a little bit about uh, that side of things. Yeah, absolutely. So um, our business model is in the first year we, we of trading, we operated more or less as a consultancy. And now as we're developing our new product, we're transitioning towards a software as a service model. So essentially what that means is that um, clients, city clients pay uh, for a one-time fee for us to kind of bring this tree, this baseline tree inventory uh, for some cities might have a tree inventory already, but it might be five or 10 years old, uh, or um, oftentimes it'll only have the public trees, the publicly owned trees. So what we'll do is we'll step in and we'll create a tree inventory that either builds on an existing one or creates an entirely new one. And we'll charge for that tree inventory. And from there, uh, we'll work with a client and set up essentially a subscription-based model where clients are paying for uh, monthly, biannual, or annual updates to that tree inventory, which will track things like the addition of new trees, the removal, sometimes illegal removal of trees, um, uh, how species, uh, the composition of species has changed, how trees have grown over the past year, and uh, what makes more sense on a monthly trajectory is mapping that health of, of trees. So all, kind of all these different features, which can be um, customized based on what the city is looking for, but more or less, it's a baseline tree inventory coupled with a subscription-based uh, monthly, biannual, or annual monitoring. Right, right, very interesting. And how do you, what's your distribution model? Do you, uh, do you have a sales team or how, how, how do you get the, 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 the service in the hands of your, your target clients? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So, so we're we're just starting out with this product. So we are we are actually in the works with uh, with two uh, U.S. based cities right now, co-developing this solution, uh, and is the hope after after that work that we'll be more or less ready to uh, to bring it to the market as a as a full fledged product offering, but. We're, we're in no rush to really bring it to the market. What we're more keen to do is to continue to work uh, with cities to co-develop this together because each city is going to be different. And for us, the more cities we do across different climatic zones, the better our product becomes. And it's a unique opportunity for cities to also work with us 
at a discounted rate uh, to really kind of be one of the first front runners who's who's using this. Um, and in terms of, we have a small sales team that's set up. Uh, we we like to use LinkedIn as a main lead generation channel, um, but we also do a ton of public speaking. Uh, so there's a number of keynote presentations that we have coming up, which uh, hopefully we'll be speaking to our, our main target audience uh, throughout those presentations to really kind of get this technology and this service in the hands of as many cities as possible. Yes, and I guess uh, the, it's it's this area, the buzzword of machine learning, which is an area uh, I don't know very much about, but is is an area which is getting a lot of attention and seems to be developing very fast. Presumably, is that something that will impact the the service that you're offering, the ability of of your the algorithms, the technology to tell you more about this, the 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 health of the trees and so forth. Absolutely. So. Um it, it helps tremendously. So um, it really helps specifically with, um, with, with offering a way to do this faster. So every city that we do, these processes become faster. And essentially what I mean by this is that, you know, if, if we did one city um, and it was able to, you know, with a high degree of accuracy, identify all of the different tree species, if we uh, end up working with another city in the same climatic zone, it'll be that much quicker and it'll require that much less ground truthing to be able to do the same kind of species identification. And uh, in the same tune, if we're uh, working across climatic zones, it's important for us to work with several cities in those climatic zones so that our algorithms, you know, really, they, they really improve. The, each, each data point you enter improves that algorithm. It's really a question of the more data, the better. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Now your background is a scientist, What's it been like working as a social entrepreneur? What's your role? What are the key kind of management roles in the company? Can you talk a little bit about life as a social entrepreneur? Sure. Yeah. So for me personally, the the biggest challenge is balancing a full-time PhD with a full-time business. Um, But I'm incredibly lucky to have such a great team at Green City Watch who fully support me in that and even more so really see the value of um, the research that I'm doing uh, throughout my PhD. Um, in terms of other challenges, I think it's as a, as a young tech startup, it's always a challenge to or really twofold. One, as a tech startup to communicate your message and your use case in a way that really makes sense to your target audience. Because even though we use uh, you know, key concepts within AI, machine learning, deep learning, all of these massive buzzwords that you see everywhere, even though those are integral to how we operate as a business, they're, they're not integral to how our target audience sees us. Our target audience is looking for use cases. They're looking for concrete ways. How can your tuck help me keep my trees alive longer and healthier? So it's really on us to translate that effectively. And honestly, the more and more we work with cities, the easier that becomes. And the more that we really have um, are able to use those cities as, as, as cheerleaders for what we do. You know, there's nothing like being able to say, we worked with, uh, with city A and for city B to be able to see that and say, ah, finally, it makes sense to me. That's also how I can use this technology. So those things are incredibly helpful to us. And because all of ours have our background, um, because all of us have our background in science, that doesn't always come naturally to us, right? You know, we are trained in um, 
bringing across information in a very scientific way. And that is not as helpful when it comes to business. So that's been a challenge that we've been working through. And secondly, I think as a young tech startup, there's always this choice of where are you going to invest your time and the little money that you have to grow the business? Are you going to invest in sales or are you going to invest it in tech and product development? And coming up with that perfect balance, that's, uh, that's something that I think we'll, we'll continue to start to struggle with as, as we grow and have to keep making those decisions. Yes, I guess. Are, are there other uh, ways of partnering? Are there other organizations already in contact with your target audience that you can work with? Or um, is, is the, the, uh, the size of, a, I guess, a client relationship, would you get a, potentially a whole city or is it uh, areas or is it, you know, I, I guess it varies, but to what extent would you get a, a, a contract, you know, potentially for, a, for, for quite a large area? Yeah, so how we like to do it is um, we typically start out with a city um, and agree to do uh, to do a small paid demo uh, for a, for a neighborhood, for example, just so that we can really we, we find we're much better at showing rather than telling. So we'll actually go in and we'll offer our technology for that smaller neighborhood um, so that the city can really see, okay, this is how it works and this is what it might look like if we were to scale that up to the rest of the city. So that that I find is is a really, you know, easy way to go about it, especially when you're, you know, you're going into uh, a city with, you know, a massive population and a massive uh, area size. It's important to really, um, to really start small and show what you could do and then, and then go on, uh, go on from there. Right. Just to make sure I understand, because presumably this, you you have the data uh, for a particular area, for example, why is it, uh, easier to focus on a small area is it because of the the extra algorithms that you're you're using that you're uh need to put in place to try and uh read the data to get more information on on the tree health i'm not sure i understand yeah no so for i i guess the the focusing on a small area is um is really kind of to to get cities on board and um, so it's kind of it's kind of like a little uh, like a like a teaser, almost like a like a trial of you know this is uh, this is what our technology would look like for this one neighborhood, so that they get a so that they get a really good idea of what it looks like in practice and how they might you know so they might actually in that neighborhood see okay well we see here that these trees aren't doing well they might actually visit those trees in the field and and see that that's in case that that is in fact not the case so that can really kind of help. Um, and strengthen our argument towards doing uh, doing the entire city. Um, oftentimes, uh, cities can also be, uh, and understandably so, uh, but cautious of um, our capabilities of also measuring private trees. So they're keen to to trial it in a small area, and if they like what they see, then oftentimes we're lucky and fortunate enough to be able to work with the entire city from there. Um, and but it also it really depends on the on the size of the city. Um, you know, if we're working with a smaller city, it might make more sense just to do the whole city in one go and not and not spend our time doing the small neighborhood analysis first. Yeah. Um, and in terms of the the technical side of things you know, it really doesn't matter whether you do a neighborhood or the whole city. Of course, it's a little bit of extra time for the larger city. But um, in terms of, you know, our, our big mission here is to stay scalable so that we can do this for cities across the world um, fast and most importantly, keep it affordable for cities. So that scalability really plays a role uh, into that as well. Very interesting. Very interesting. How have you been funded? And can you talk a little bit about your experience? 
experience funding? Yeah, so we've been bootstrapping Green City Watch since the beginning. So we've yet to take any outside capital and have instead really chosen to fuel growth growth internally from cash flow, either produced from consultancy earlier on in the business, and now through these these product uh, co-development trajectories that we're in with cities. Um, the reason why why we've chosen to do that is we we believe very strongly in rapid iteration and in, in, in what they call user-centric product development. So really having your user center to all of the development that you do, we believe and we've seen to be incredibly fruitful in our development. So um, until it's absolutely necessary, we will continue to uh, to bootstrap Green City Watch in, in this way and uh, and not take on any outside capital. Right, great. Um, what's next for you? What's what's the next stage in the development of the business, Nadini? So uh, 2020 is, is going to be a big year. Uh, we're launching TreeTech to earn our new product. Uh, I'm personally giving uh, three keynotes um, at, uh, at, at different conferences around Europe. So there's uh, trees, people, and the built environment in Birmingham. There's CogX in London and the Next Web in Amsterdam. And uh, so I'm really excited uh, to kind of spread the gospel through uh, through those means. Uh, public speaking absolutely terrifies me, but at the same time gives me an incredible boost of adrenaline. And I think it's such an incredibly effective medium at storytelling, a powerful way of storytelling. Um, and if all goes well, I'm finishing my PhD this year. So a lot to look forward to. Well, I wish you the very best of success with all that and with the business and and your research and thank you so much for joining us today and sharing the great work you're doing thank you for having me on it was an absolute pleasure to chat thank you for listening to the inspiring social entrepreneur podcast i hope you found this interview inspiring please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts